0: Good morning. Any kids that didn't get dismissed to Children's Church that would like to go can head that direction now. Uh, It is a pleasure to be with you all here today. Today is the last Sunday in our Sabbath sermon series that we've been going through for about the past six weeks. As I was preparing for this week's sermon, I was trying to find a specific verse that I could not remember the location of in the Bible. I could remember somewhere in Scripture the phrase eternal Sabbath is mentioned. I just, I just couldn't remember where. This happens to me fairly frequently. And when it does, I do what all of you do. I googled it. The first result, which popped up, was not a Bible verse. It wasn't what I was looking for. Instead, it was a comic book in the Japanese style, otherwise known as manga. Okay, I'm, I'm a bit out of my depth here. It may be that manga is different from a comic book. Feel free to correct me after the service, you, you manga fans out there. Um, I don't actually care, but if it's important to you, you can correct me, that's fine. In any case, I was interested to know more about the Eternal Sabbath comic. So I clicked on the link to the Wikipedia, Wikipedia page describing the series. The plot of Eternal Sabbath revolves around a gene developed by a group of scientists who sought immortality. The presence of the gene grants the carrier up to 200 years immune from all viruses, though the scientist's original intention was to demonstrate the feasibility of eternal life. This is important. The gene unexpectedly has the additional power of mind control and memory alteration. To be honest, this all sounds pretty silly to me. I enjoy lots of silly things, so that's not a dig, but it does sound silly. What is not silly is the desire for a life that does not end after 70, 80, or 90 years. The pursuit of eternal life comes up frequently in fiction. It seems to motivate an abundance of movie villains. Scientists have been pursuing eternity for as long as there has been science. Before that, magic was sought that would achieve the same goal. It is absolutely crazy but true that much of the early settlement of Florida was a product of the Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon's search for the fountain of youth. The pursuit of never-ending life has gone into hyperdrive in recent years. Every commercial for a new medication or a new skin cream is an attempt to fulfill the desire all people have for eternity in some small way. Just just a little bit more youth, just one more minute of life. In today's verses, we are going to see what the Bible has to say about the search for an eternal Sabbath. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. We're going to read verses one through 13. That's Hebrews four, verses one through 13, page 942. If you are using the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. There is a lot going on in these verses. I believe one of the reasons Hebrews is not preached on as much as other books from the Bible is that it is harder for us to grasp the points that are being made. The Gospels tell stories. We can all follow a story. Paul's letters exhibit a logic that is familiar to the Western mind. Paul may have written Hebrews as well, but whoever the author of Hebrews was, they make their points in ways that challenge The ways we are comfortable thinking. So we're going to work through some of the arguments being made in these verses today. The promise of entering God's rest, which is Jesus Christ, still stands. However, not everyone will enter this rest. For the author of Hebrews, the fact some to whom he is writing would be excluded from the rest of Christ was a source of concern. It should be no less a cause of concern for us. The people receiving this letter are not a random sampling of people out in the world. This is not like when you get one of those mailers at your house that just says current resident. What do you do when you get one of those pieces of mail? If it's, not, if it's that nonspecific, for me it goes straight into the recycling bin. The audience for these verses we just read is a group of people that thinks of themselves as being Christians. The author's concern for them is real. He is warning them that their confidence may be displaced. This would not be the first time a group of people failed to enter in to the promised rest of God. There is another famous time this has happened, which is being referenced in these verses. Throughout the book of Hebrews, there is a lot of focus of, on the Bible's first five books, the Pentateuch. How Jesus is like Moses and Abraham has already been explored. In the subsequent chapters of Hebrews, Jesus will be talked about as the ultimate fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood. These Old Testament events were, part, were a large part of the religious framework for those receiving the letter. What happened in the past was a model for how to understand what should happen between God and man in the present. Their religious framework was similar to many Americans' political framework. They cared about the founding of their nation and their religion and its implications for their present in a similar way to how many Americans care about the revolution and the Constitution. People today believe the founding of the United States has implications for the present. Those receiving this letter believed a similar thing religiously. That what had that what happened when God founded Israel mattered for their present. Everyone reading this letter would have been familiar with what happened to the Israelites In the wilderness, after God saved Israel out of Egypt through miracles and judgment, the nation traveled through the desert. In the wilderness, the generation that had seen God's great works doubted God repeatedly. A consequence of their doubt, their lack of faith, Was that this generation, the generation of the wilderness, was condemned to die in the wilderness. With the exception of a couple of men. God delivered on his end of the bargain, but many were excluded. Their lack of faith kept them from enjoying the rest which God had provided. Verse 2 says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hearing good news doesn't in and of itself change anything. The Israelites in the wilderness, they heard good news. They were too distracted by the challenges they faced and their own desire for comfort. If I came to you and I said, I've just got the best news. This is amazing. I inherited a lake house from my great uncle. You'd be excited for me. Imagine five years later, if you asked me about the lake house, and I said, Oh. You know, that fell through. I lost it because I never claimed ownership legally. I just couldn't trust that my great uncle would be so generous. You wouldn't think that that inheritance was good news. You would think it was a tragic missed opportunity. Verse 3 goes on to say, We who have believed enter that rest of god christians should not understand this statement and others like it in a shallow way belief is more than intellectual assent. the israelites moving through the wilderness they would have said they believed in god's existence the point being made here is that the message of eternal rest is only beneficial for those who embrace with their heart, mind, and strength. Belief and faith, which are synonymous, go hand in hand with listening and acting upon God's truth. Those who believe will exhibit lives that in some way reflect that belief. The rest of God is a turn. The end of verse 3 tells readers his works were finished from the foundation of the world. The way God interacts with his creation is fundamentally different from the way people interact with the world as creatures that have been created. We can never really understand God's perspective on his own existence. God created time and space. His existence transcends the world he created. This means that the world doesn't affect him, even in a less impactful way compared to how it affects us. God is able to be at rest. Whatever is happening in the world, it does not exhaust Him. God's rest defies our meager imaginations. The best comparison I could think of from my perspective is when it's raining outside and I am in the warmth and security. Of my bed. I love that feeling. I've got two skylights in my bedroom, so you can hear the rain coming down on the glass. And in those moments, I relish this feeling of complete safety and security. I feel at peace. God's security is infinitely complete. There is nothing outside of him that he needs to feel secure from. It is more like our whole world is a snow globe that he holds in the palm of his hand. God can rest because from his perspective, creation is finished this doesn't just mean god is done with the physical work of creation that would be a kind of a deistic reading of the passage Deists would say god built the world like a craftsman all its mountains lakes jung- jungles and oceans he then stepped back from what he had made and let it run its course it is not that that understanding of God is totally wrong in every way, it is that it is incomplete in being overly simplistic. God is certainly responsible for all that physically exists, but the works he finished include more than that. God's work includes all of history. It is physical and it is spiritual. The completed work of God includes the moment that we are inhabiting together today. It includes whatever future that God is still bringing in to existence. From God's perspective, it is done. The finished work of God leads some to a false understanding. Some would say, The completeness of God's work, his absolute sovereignty, means that human actions and the decisions we make are irrelevant. In this way of thinking, God has done what he is going to do anyway. If history is already complete from God's perspective, my own actions within history are inconsequential. All I should do is accept what God has done, or not, as my acceptance doesn't matter either. Needless to say, this sort of thinking does not inspire a lot of motivation. If the world, not just the past, but the present and the future, is what it is, there's not much to be done, a sense of resignation results. The author of Hebrews pushes back on the false understanding that leads to resignation. He writes, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Our decisions and actions very much matter. We can either be obedient or disobedient. God inhabits a rest outside of space and time. We don't. We exist in a space called today. What we do today matters. It matters not only for us. It matters because somehow what we do today fits into God's finished works. We will not always live in today. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is good news for us. Today gets exhausting. I sometimes feel as if I am living my life on repeat. One day is followed by another in a never-ending succession of today's. We want a break from the repetitive monotony. When people are young, you might hear them say they would like to live forever in this world. I've interacted with several people that are close to 100 years old in my life. And I've never heard one of them say they want to keep on living indefinitely. In fact, they say the opposite. They say they are tired of today. More often they ask, why has the Lord not taken me yet? They are worn out by today. Today includes physical decline. Today involves sadness. Today is a grind that has worn them down. They just wanna break, they just wanna rest. It is helpful to know we are moving past today as Christians. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested From his works as God did from his. God's rest is what exists on the other side of physical death for those who have believed. We are moving towards that rest. Our future rest will be the same as the rest that God currently inhabits. We will be free from the pressures and constraints of today. Our existence will no longer be a daily grind. Let us therefore strive. Let us therefore strive so that no one might fall, so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience like the Israelites moving through the desert we strive to enter the rest that has been provided for us their lack of striving was a lack of faith they didn't believe in the promises of God it was the reason they fell into disobedience our striving is motivated by our certainty in the belief in God's promises that he has given us We look forward with expectation to that future rest. We do not grow weary because we know we will be able to rest. Who will enter God's rest will be revealed in the end. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirits, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Fooling people in this world, it's not very hard. Most people can play the part of a religious person well. The truth is not hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from his sight. The word of God will discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. The eternal Sabbath of God is more commonly talked about as heaven. When we think about heaven it's something most of us think about as happening in the distant future. We can't really wrap our minds around what eternity means. Unlike God, we live within a time and space. It is hard for us to see anything outside of our terrestrial viewpoint. This results in an extremely limited perspective. We struggle to see much past the needs of today and the desires of tomorrow faith changes the way we experience our world because it shifts the way we experience time christian belief results in us seeing the world from god's perspective it gives us a glimpse the possibility of doing so in our world is always constrained we are always being called back to some sort of short-term way of thinking focused on the seasons of life and the demands of today. Knowing the day and time is necessary for us. Nevertheless, we must live our lives in the light of the eternal Sabbath. That time of rest is so inseparable from God as to be indistinguishable from Him. Each day of life on this earth is an opportunity to move toward that sacred time when we will enter God's rest completely. We move forward not by works, But through our faith, which works itself out in our present experiences. Regular, intentional rest is an outworking of our faith. That is what we've been talking about over the past six weeks. We rest because God rests. We need to rest, it is good for us to do so. We rest in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Rest in this world is an active outworking of our faith in preparation of the eternal Sabbath of God. We will join God in his unending rest, the rest he already enjoys until that day comes. We continue to strive to live out our faith in all areas. Including. In how we rest. Let's pray. Dear Lord. Eternal Sabbath. Your existence. Your Your presence outside of space and time. Is not something. Any person. Can wrap their minds around fully. Or, or even I think very much at all, but you you have given us a glimpse. You, you have told us what it means that you are at rest, Lord. And while our understanding of that is, is partial and incomplete, we do understand that you are drawing us into your rest, that you are drawing us in to yourself, Lord. And we recognize that our lives In this world, our days are few. I pray that as we move through today, that you would be with us. That we would keep that eternal rest, that eternal Sabbath that you have ready for us in mind, and that we would be prepared to enter your presence, Lord. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.